Well, as it turns out, OPEC isn't the only one to see China's reopening economy coming up way short of expectations. Now, of course, markets, they had warned us all along not to expect a whole lot from China reopening. And now we're facing the big problem of China's reopening disappointment, which is another D word, deflation. Deflationary potential in the real economy, not just about China, but acting through commodity prices, which sounds like a really good thing because if we've been plagued by consumer prices, supply shock, inflation, all that stuff, what people call inflation, then shouldn't the opposite be good? And then on top of it, not only do we have deflationary potential, which is not a good thing, we've got the U.S. banks about to do something to the U.S. economy, which will only make the situation that much worse, that much more likely deflationary. Yes, I'm talking about prospects for the credit crunch. Now, of course, remember, OPEC said... We need to cut production because despite all of the hype, China's reopening just isn't going as, going as well as we had hoped. Not only that, we've got weakness across the real economy, so demand is not going to live up to expectations. And unless OPEC's producers cut production, oil prices were likely to slump, as they were doing in March. But that production cut, the announcement of it, really didn't steady oil prices for very long. Oil got up into the mid low 80s and then quickly reversed. And last week it was down to a new low, a low not seen since December 2021. Are there more likely to be more production cuts from OPEC in the near term future? Seems that's a good possibility, especially as more and more realize what's going on in China. And that includes steel makers. A group called China Iron and Steel Association, which is a government-backed trade group, recently, just at the end of last month, urged domestic steelmakers to, like OPEC, begin cutting back on production because demand just isn't there. And as I've mentioned on this channel before, as well as in the Eurodollar University research subscriptions, steel prices in China have been nosediving. Here's what, one, out, what, what uh, one research outlet said about it. The recovery of construction and infrastructure building in China failed to materialize despite a round of government stimulus and liquidity ejections amid the country's economic reopening. It didn't happen. And markets told you not to expect it to happen. And OPEC said it isn't happening, so we have to cut production. Now steelmakers are saying it isn't happening. Now we should think about cutting production, and you can see where all this is heading. It's heading in exactly the direction that we had been warned about. And it's, it's, a, it's going to be a problem in the real economy as activity falls. It's going to be deflationary, at least in some limited sense, maybe a broader sense if it spills over. Commodity prices are going to suffer as a result of lack of demand, which is why the production cuts. And above all, we haven't even seen the worst of it yet, as we're going to get to in the senior loan officer and opinion survey results from the Federal Reserve in the U.S. That's a big trading partner, but it's also emblematic of what's happening all across the global economy right now, which is increasingly, increasingly deflationary. But first, I'm Jeff. This is Eurodollar University. Thank you very much for joining me. As always, if you are interested, Eurodollar University has memberships available, exclusive content on the background, the monetary background behind what's going on in the monetary system, what the monetary system actually is, and it's nothing like what they've taught you in schools. 
We've got research subscriptions available. Daily briefing I do in partnership with marketsinsiderpro.com. There's a bundle available there. Also our daily deep dive analysis where we dive deep into all of these things, money and macro, what they mean, where they came from, and maybe if we get if we get enough deep depth into our diving, where everything is going to go. All the information available for you at eurodollar.university. Late last night, early this morning, the Chinese government, the General Administration of Customs over there, reported exports and import numbers for China. And the imports in particular, especially for crude oil, really validated or backed up what OPEC was saying. Because China, other than the month of March where oil imports surged, that didn't really represent the beginning of a robust reopening economy. Instead, that was just a one-time catch-up, as I had said previously. That you could tell that China was okay, it was weak because of COVID. It was weak because of the pandemic lockdowns before that. And then suddenly, China wanted to catch up, get, a, get take advantage of, I think, falling oil prices, and imported a lot of crude in March. But not so much in April, which is why OPEC came out and said... Yeah, we're going to have to cut production because demand is not living up to the hype. And it's not just China, it's not just oil, it's pretty much everywhere. So let's go over the statistics. China exports, uh, according to the General Administration of Customs, these are for the month of April as well as cumulative January through April. Just for the month of April, exports actually increased 8.5%, but that's not nearly as good as it might sound. China should be doing 20% growth in exports, primarily because they, those are value numbers, not volume numbers. So they increase price, they include price changes. But also in the month of April 2023, we are comparing them to April 2022, which if you recall, that was the worst of last year's Shanghai port lockdowns and all of that. So 8.5% above April 2022 is not a good number. Um, cumulatively, the, from exports to the United States on a cumulative basis are down 14.3%. So that's for the first four months of the year. April alone, exports to the U.S. down 6.5% year over year. Again, easy, easy comparisons and still lower. Doesn't say much about the inventory cycle and what's going on in the United States. Exports to Europe. Those were up 3.9% in April, but down 4.3% on a cumulative basis, despite easier comparisons. So not a whole lot of demand for Chinese goods going to Europe. And here's an interesting one too. Exports to Hong Kong, down 7.2% on a cumulative basis through April, which also suggests that whatever trade was going out of Hong Kong, isn't, there isn't a lot of it going out of Hong Kong, which is supposed to be throughout the rest of Asia. China's imports, they were down 7.9% in April, despite the easy comparisons with last year, despite including price changes in those numbers. On a cumulative basis, January through April, imports fell 7.3%. So again, China, whether lockdown, whether reopening, whether the full reopening, despite this massive credit impulse everybody had been talking about, China's not buying it, literally not buying material from the rest of the world. So you can understand and see why commodity prices have gotten so weak, because there is a very solid long run correlation 
between especially non-energy commodities and really industrial base metals and the level of Chinese imports. Chinese imports are contracting. That means commodity prices are likely to be going lower, even if they are favorable in terms of supply. Just ask OPEC and steelmakers now. Imports from Europe, which is an important trade partner in China, not like the U.S. here, Imports from Europe were down just a little bit in April, but again, despite easier comparisons, on a cumulative basis, down 1.8%. I think the big one in terms of imports uh, from a specific region, as far as China's concerned, Japan. Japanese imports, which we flagged from the very beginning, is one of those, uh-oh, China's reopening is not working, as well as South Korea. But imports into China from Japan are off by 19% on a cumulative basis, and they aren't really getting any better as reopening continues to go on. Very weak demand for Japanese products and I think the rest of Asia's products into China. Reopening is, I mean, without the, uh, the need to produce more things, without the need to build more facilities and roads and everything else to get goods made and then ship them everywhere, China doesn't really have a whole lot of use for a lot more crude oil. Again, OPEC told us what to expect from that. The import figures in the month of April, they were down sharply, down sharply from March. So March, we had the big jump. That was one time, one thing, a one-term thing, transitory, dare I say. In the month of April, again, despite positive comparisons with last April, 2022, Volumes of crude oil imported by China were down 1.4%. And the number was, it was closer to January and February of this year or lockdown months last year. But of course, there are no lockdowns. This is reopening. And that doesn't, I mean, the import of crude oil isn't just about heavy industry and overcapacity there, which is what we're really talking about. Lack of demand given a level of uh, the ability of China to, to potentially supply it. It also means that internally, China's economy isn't living up to, again, all the hype there. We've heard a lot about Chinese consumers and how they have pent up savings and pent up demand that they're only too willing to, um, to let loose. And it just doesn't seem to be happening, not in any way close to the way in which the global economy needs to avoid more devastating deflation over the months ahead. To that end, we go to one of China's biggest trading partners, which happens to be here in the United States. As we've been warning about all along, banking difficulties as well as the weak economy, even before we got to March, deflationary money across the, market, the global marketplace, banks have been in no mood to lend. And they have become even less willing to lend given everything that has happened since the last time we got the senior loan officer opinion survey from the Fed. The results are in many ways pretty much what we expected. At the same time, though, still quite alarming. Standards on consumer, or commercial and industrial loans, those rose a little bit from the beginning of the year. These are numbers that were the survey was conducted in April. The previous survey was conducted in January. So they're already thinking about tightening standards. But demand for commercial and industrial loans is they report going way down. Um, for large credit providers, 55.6% say they're experiencing less demand for, for these CNI loans compared to just 31.8% in January. 
Small and mid credit providers, 53.3% now say that they're, they're seeing less demand for CNI loans. That's down from 42.2%. And this might be the big one as far as commercial and industrial loans goes. Um, the amount of large banks that are reporting they're going to have to charge an extra spread to compensate for higher perceived risks, not higher rates, but higher spread on top of rising nominal rates. 62.3% of large credit providers said this compared to just 44.8% in, in January. Small and medium is about 58.3% compared to 32.8%. So loans are becoming harder to get and more costly to obtain. At the same time, banks are not as willing to extend them, which all of those things all go together. As far as regional banks and the banking crisis goes, commercial real estate. And this is where I think a lot of trouble really is starting to rise as it already has to this point. Um, standards for commercial real estate loans, construction loans in particular, 73.8% of senior loan officers say that they're tightening lending standards. That's up marginally from January 69.2%, which tells you that everybody's tightening standards and have all year. And maybe that's one reason why we ran into so many banking difficulties in March to begin with. We had a low seasonal liquidity point, commercial real estate loans. People are beginning to look at those with a real skeptical eye. It didn't make for a very good condition in March. We're still moving in the tightening direction on top of more tightening that started last year, which again, I think that's really, it gets down to the basics about what's going on in these regional banks, particularly with commercial real estate, because as standards tighten, as banks become less willing, as banks charge higher spreads for funding, it also means that you that any iffy loss-making loss projects that have already been funded there, nobody's going to find any buyers for them. So you have all of these iffy ideas out there, these, these iffy projects that if they do get into some form of trouble, if, if the company that has been performing on those loans suddenly becomes less performing, you're kind of stuck with those loans because nobody's going to want to buy them because there's no liquidity and money out there in the entire space. As we see in the demand for commercial and real estate loans, according to the SLUS data, for construction loans, demand has fallen, or demand is falling, or two thirds of respondents say demand is falling. That's down. That's worse than the 62.1% in January. For non-residential, which is you know productive capacity, capital expenditures, that kind of thing, almost three quarters of respondents say there's less demand there compared to 68.68% in January. In multifamily, it's 72.6% compared to around half, or 50%. In January. So again, demand falling down, lending standards tightening, credit is only going to get worse. Uh, the one place where credit standards haven't really gotten all that recession or bad recession level yet, that's in credit cards and consumer loans. At the same time, 22.8%, there's 22.8% fewer willing to make consumer, consumer loans now as compared to before. And that's the same level of willingness as the, the around April 2008 after Bear Stern. So even before we get through the into the real fallout period from the banking difficulties, we've got banks telling us that they're going to continue tightening standards, adding spreads to credit, making the situation that much worse, and making the credit crunch possibility 
that much more likely. Which, if you are a producer over in China, you're thinking, what do I need to build more stuff for? I need to start thinking about cutting back on my own production because as we've talked about before but in China, there's overcapacity up to now. And it's only gonna get much worse as we continue to move forward into the credit crunch, into the global recession. Because all of these things are consistent with exactly what we've been telling you about, exactly what we've been warning about. Markets have been saying deflationary economy, deflationary money leading to a deflationary economy. And here we have all of those things just in today's figures or yesterday in today's figures. Commodity prices are going to get weaker because China's economy is not living up to it. And the U.S. is the U.S. is about to experience a pretty substantial credit crunch, too, which is only going to make demand that much worse, which means more more supply than demand, which lower prices. So. OPEC wasn't the only one to see what's going on with China, as well as the implications of that beyond China. In a word, deflation. I'm Jeff. This is Eurodollar University. Thank you very much for joining me. As always, huge thank you, Eurodollar University, MarketsInsiderPro.com subscribers, and a huge sincere thank you as well to all the Eurodollar University members. Until next time, take care.